Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today we have a lady calling in from Orlando, Florida, and she's originally from Arkansas. Her name is Lisa Cornwell, and she recently had a book release. Welcome, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Should I be worried, though, that the name is Unimpressed Podcast? No, it's more about me. Okay. Because I, I've got the best poker face in the world. I have the same look all the time, so hence Unimpressed. Troublemaker, what does that mean to you, having a book called Troublemaker? You know, it means something different, I think, to everybody. I kind of named it that a little as tongue-in-cheek because the minute that you speak up about issues, people are pretty quick to label you a troublemaker. Uh, but anybody who's paid attention to U.S. And, and global politics, I'll start with the big one. Most folks don't know this. If you've read uh, Nelson Mandela's autobiography, which is wonderful, by the way, his African birth name translates to troublemaker. And how fitting is that? I mean, you think about him serving 27 years in an apartheid prison and all that he did to incite change and bring about change in his country and for him to have that birth name. But then you think of the late congressman from Georgia, John Lewis, and always advocating for making good trouble. And that's what I like to to say that that I have done over the years, especially during my time at Golf Channel NBC is is really just speak out and, you know, not not accept the wrongdoings by a, a small group of people and to try to make change in a network that really um, still operates in, in a lot of ways, like it's 1960 and 1970. So I wasn't the only one who experienced it. A lot of different women. I know some men who went through it, too. It just so happens that as a woman, you're going to speak out about the issues that affect you. And certainly um, for me and a lot of women there, uh, that was the case. Well, I mean, I 100% agree. And I kind of had this conversation, I think, yesterday. And it's, it's not about that topic with what you experienced. But, you know, I think a lot of environments, these brick and mortar businesses that have been around for, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, they kind of hide behind that veil and, and they never really grow within their environment because they're only appeasing their environment. So it's like they're disconnected to the outside world and they do, really don't know reality to the outside world and how to change with society and the people. So I have experienced that. I mean, what would you do to change that philosophy to unearth that dinosaur type of mentality? Yeah, I think that it's it's actually, it's not as difficult as it may seem. It starts with just quality leadership. And I think a lot of, a lot of leaders and a lot of companies today are sort of incorporating this modern day philosophy. And, and a lot of it has been due to the social movement in the black community and after the Me Too movement, just people speaking out and realizing that these things are not acceptable 
anymore. But what I've learned since being at, at Golf Channel NBC, because I now work for the PGA Tour and I have bosses and upper management and they they genuinely care about treating people the right way. They care about equality and fairness and, and diversity. And, you know, I, I call it the no, I, I don't know if I can say that on here, but the, basically the no a-hole policy. I won't say the word because I don't know what kind of podcast this is, but um they do. They have it. It's it's not part of the, the corporate bylaws, but you can just tell from a management perspective, from an executive pr- perspective, that they don't tolerate it. And, you know, egos are left at the door. And the minute that you bring that in there and, and make it sort of a hostile workplace, they will show you the door. And so it's an easy comparison for me between the two places because it's still golf and golf is still kind of uh, a, a white person sport, an older person sport. You know, there's not a lot of diversity. There's not a lot of color in it, but it just proves that even within that sport with, with good leadership, that these things can prevail. So it's, it's really been an eye-opening experience and, and not as difficult to make it better as I originally thought. What do you think the thought process is with the people that still act the way they do uh, in your old job? I mean, what do you think their mentality is? They think it's a privilege for you to be there and they don't uh, appreciate the people or? You know, I don't know. And I will say again, it was just, it was a small number of people, but with my experience, these, these were people who had been in their positions for quite some time. They had been elevated to these positions for a while and turnover did not happen that often. And I know it doesn't happen at the higher level at NBC in general. That's why we've seen these issues with, with Matt Lauer and Chris Matthews. And I mean, it's just happened repeatedly. So, you know, I, I think really for an issue like this, when you're talking about workplace issues in terms of discrimination, retaliation, bullying, and you have leaders that basically accept that from, from the network superstars, at least that's what it was in, in my case from some of these veteran people, it's really just a lack of, of empathy and understanding. And, and those things I think are easy to differentiate between people who have it and people who don't. I mean, I almost think that when, when you start hiring people for these very important jobs where they're managing a lot of people, there needs to be some sort of evaluation in terms of their management style. And that, I think, just starts with their own characteristics about the kind of people they are. Well, when you think about the structure of that, you know, a lot of people, when they think about a, a TV network, um, they really don't think about the corporations that are kind of controlling that direction. Do you think the upper management and the corporations have some type of bond and, and they kind of protect each other? Or um, what is that? Well, look, there's no doubt about it. And I will say this, uh, you know, I'm in my mid 40s and I had never been to HR before in my life. I didn't even I didn't even entertain it. I mean, any sort of issue that I'd ever had at work, I just handled it myself and I had no problem handling it myself. This was a different animal because things started happening and you could really see um toward the end of my time there at Golf Channel that that they really there really was retaliation at play when I started calling out some of this stuff specifically that was happening to me. And so to experience the nightmare that is HR is something that uh, my eyes are open very wide. And I think that that's a big part of the problem. We all think that HR is there to help us. I mean, from my experience before, they were there for health insurance and benefits and job training and all these things. But when you have these issues and they're protecting 
protecting the company and trying to push what happened to you under the rug, which not only happened to me, but it happened repeatedly. And I saw it over and over again. What are you going to do when you're an employee? How do you make it better? Because the person who's there and supposed to help you being the HR department, their paychecks are signed by the big bosses. So who are they going to stick their necks out for? The employee who's calling out the mistreatment or the issue at work? Or are they going to protect the company that signs their checks every couple weeks. And what was your responsibilities on a day to day when you were experiencing these things? I don't and you I don't know if you care about talking about what happened. I don't care if you do, but what what was your day to day responsibilities? So I was a host in studio for our nightly news show called Golf Central. And then I would often report out at the field um, for PGA tour and LPGA tour events. I will say I didn't have an issue out on the road. That was that was pretty easy because we kind of operate on our own separate island. The folks out there are very, they were always respectful and helpful to me. I mean, you know, you do deal with a couple knuckleheads, but that's in any job. This was really in sort of that corporate structure with inside the walls of Golf Channel. And I think that, again, it was just with these folks who had operated in the same way for so many years and even though the climate in terms of the social landscape in this country had changed with all the different social movements within the walls of the network, nothing had changed because there was no force to change. They didn't have to. You know, there were there were a lot of people who faced issues and they sort of did the same thing that they did to me, only they didn't renew their contract. They offered them a severance package and you sign an NDA and you just go away quietly. And for a long time, that was their way of of dealing with something until I decided to legally take some action by going to the EEOC with these, with these issues because I wanted to make them public. So I didn't, I didn't want to give them the opportunity to try to push me out the door, give me a severance package and just let me go away quietly because it's, you know, people who read the book and understand sort of my history, it's not my nature. I just, I couldn't walk away from it. And I certainly couldn't let them push me around the way that they were doing and the way that I, that I had seen them do to so many other people. So I decided to stay there, stay in my contract and, and submit these claims to the EEOC, which is a very uh, daunting and frustrating process. The EEOC, most folks don't know how it operates. I had no idea. I had a lawyer and even he had to educate himself on the the entire process of it. But it's underfunded. It's underregulated. And, you know, when they're only taking on seven to eight percent of the cases that they get presented with, it's impossible to make these issues better because unless you're living in a C-suite, it's pretty hard to be able to afford a really good employment lawyer to go defend this in federal court. So, that was sort of that was the issue that I learned about in terms of of when you really call this out and you try to go the full length of the battle is that finances can certainly come into play. If you're on camera and a talent and a most creative people or highly sensitive people to start with, that's usually what makes them a great talent. I mean, how'd that make you feel? I mean, you know, when you were at work, I mean, did, did it really put a lot of stress on you? And, and what did it make you feel like internally? Yeah, I think with my personality, it just made me angry. It, it just it just built up inside. And I think when I first spoke out, which was on January 1st of 2021, I, I went public because that was the first day that I was no longer in contract with Golf Channel. And I, you know, I let a lot of that anger out and it lived for a long time. And really the process of writing the book helped a lot of that go away because I was able to finally fully tell my story. You know, it's impossible. You're on social media. You get it. It's impossible to tell your full story on Twitter or Instagram or 
Facebook. Um, the only way to do it properly is with a documentary or with a book. And obviously the documentary is very limited for, for things like this and completely out of budget. But the book allowed me to fully tell my story that I'd kind of been dropping hints about for quite some time. So yeah, it was cathartic for me in that process. But no, it while I was in it, it was just a lot of anger and trying because I, I I had no control over their behavior and I could not make them stop. I could not make them understand. You know, when you're in the job, you can't contractually publicly take on these battles. So I felt stuck and just their behavior just brought out this this fury inside of me. You said you were originally from Arkansas. Um, and how did you get here? Was this a passion for you? What was your life in, in high school and in your 20s? How did you get to, to start traveling down this road? Yeah, it was um, it was kind of a windy path. So I grew up a, a, a pretty decorated athlete in my home state. I was the 1992 Arkansas Female Athlete of the Year. I was a two-time All-State basketball player and a two-time All-American in golf. So Sports has just always been in my blood. Uh, and after, you know, my whole career, my whole, I guess, high school years and, and teenage years, really, all I wanted to do was be a professional golfer. That's what I thought that I was destined for. Everything set up for that. And then I experienced a severe burnout and went through my own sort of personal issues, you know, when I was a teenager and, and through college. And I talk about that in the book. I thought it was really important to be open about the struggles that I faced along the way. And it's part of what made me who I am today. But, you know, after college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was absolutely lost. I thought at first I wanted to go to law school and I decided not to do that. I, I tried sales. I was a restaurant manager. And then all of a sudden I had a couple friends who, who did the weather at the local NBC affiliate in Little Rock. And I was just around that environment and, and it was like, wow, okay, this is like playing competitive sports again. I could feel the adrenaline rush. I could feel the pressure and sort of those nerves kicking in for my friends watching them. So I went back and got a, a second degree in broadcast journalism, quit my sales job, uh, took a significant pay cut and went to Columbus, Mississippi as a sports anchor reporter making $18,000 a year. So I was off and running and just, you know, worked my way around the country, Knoxville, Tennessee, Cincinnati, Ohio, the Big Ten Network in Chicago, and then finally Golf Channel in Orlando. What kind of issues, I mean, growing up as a young person, um, did you experience? Uh, well, the main one that I talk about is, is it, and it resulted, I think, from this experience with with burnout and, you know, I call it the divorce from golf. Um, there's a chapter in the book called The Unexpected Divorce. And that sort of, you know, as a kid and and being an, a nationally ranked junior golfer, I was second in the country when I was 16. And, you know, everybody just thought, okay, she's going to be a superstar on tour. And so when I suffered this severe burnout, I went into sort of this deep, dark depression. And while I was in college, developed an eating disorder. I was bulimic and went to a couple of years of therapy and, and just talked about sort of what I learned about myself and learned about the eating disorder and learned why it happened and why it happens to a lot of young females. It happens to men too. A lot of folks don't know that. A lot of men suffer from, from these issues. We all suffer in different ways, but, you know, to be able to to be able to get help on my own and to be able to pay for that myself and and really 
kind of keep it a secret at the time from my family. It was one of those life lessons that you just simply can't buy. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I learned so much about myself. You know, it's opened me up to be able to talk to young kids about their issues. And that was part of why I wanted to write this book too. It wasn't just about, let me slam Golf Channel and tell you about all the bad things that happened to me at the network. But it was also about my early life and and going through these these personal issues, these mental health issues, and coming out on on the better side of it with a better understanding and with a, a There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Big hope of trying to help others along the way. That was a time when you didn't have the pretty world. I say the pretty world because one thing I've noticed, especially me being understanding human behavior and understanding kids and and social media. One thing that I've witnessed and what I see, and I I try to keep my, my daughter ahead of this thought process is, you know, kids are living in a very visual space that's looks very, very pretty. And in this visual space being very, very pretty and perfect, whatever, because that, you know, that's what they see on their social media. So it's social media, school, whatever they have in life. And what I didn't realize is, and I kind of been on this topic lately is this is creating like a very, very non-confidence because, because when kids see this very pretty space, they, and they see these successful people, they don't see the 10 years or 20 years, the grind and the hustle it took to get there to be able to look like they do now. Because I said, if you're going to change some of this mindset, you got to start showing some of the struggles uh, to get there because because these kids, you know, they, they don't want to follow a leader, right? And, and they're trying to put everything in a perfect box and wait for a perfect time to do anything. So it, it's creating apprehension, it's creating non-confidence confidence. So when you add that to your situation, it's kind of a double whammy. How, what would you, what would your advice be uh, to kids that may be in, in the same place you are at, at the time you were at your age? I tell you what, John, I cannot imagine being a, a young person right now and dealing with what I dealt with. I can't, not with social media. And I'll tell you this, you know, my book released two days ago. And because of that, I've been very active on social media. I'm always active, I will say, but I've done a really good job the last year or so of going on there, looking and then getting off and not spending a lot of time scrolling through. I try to get my news elsewhere. And it's affected me even the last couple of days. I can feel my energy sort of zapped from me. And so I say 
that to say, I can't imagine being a, a 16, 17, 18 year old kid or even a 25 year old kid. I see a lot of people I work with in their 30s and you go to Instagram and it's this perfect world. You know, they're showing these selfies where they're all made up and it's this perfect smile and a perfect venue and everything is just perfect. You know, every there's never somebody, oh, let me just show you the picture of what I look like when I wake up. So I say that because you're right. I mean, the pressure that these young people must feel to, to live this sort of idyllic life in that regard is just not reality. And and I, I just I can't imagine the pressures that they're facing as for you as a parent. I can't imagine how concerning that is. But then you put it on top of somebody like me who hasn't who had an eating disorder. How could it not just make it worse? You know, and, and, and I think that that's why I'm glad that more folks are talking about mental health awareness. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. It's so important. And, you know, in this day and age of social media, without a clear understanding of the harm that it could be doing, I don't know how it gets better. So um, I know that that's a long winded question to your or answer to your question, but I'm really concerned about it yeah. because I think about myself in that situation and it's frightening. Yeah. And, and then you think about, you know, when you're trying, younger people are trying to find a perfect box, a perfect time to do whatever they need to do. Um, what would you advise? You know, you've had a successful career, even though the things you've experienced, what would you say, would you do anything different? How do you, you know, if you're trying to get that job that you had at Golf Channel, which a lot of people would love to have, um, you know, what would you do different? What would you look at different because people really fight for that opportunity. Is there anything that you would have did different? I don't know. I would have to think about that. Um, I worked my my way up pretty quickly. And I think that the ability to get that job at Golf Channel was in part because of my past as a sports host and, and reporter. So part of it was that. And then probably a bigger part was just my background in golf and my knowledge in golf. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that what I experienced could have it could have been avoided, to be quite honest, because I, I didn't have the ability to influence my bosses in terms of, of how they sort of set up the culture at the network. It was already in place long before I was there, and it obviously had carried on to my time there. I don't know what it's like now. The company has has really downsized since then, which is unfortunate for, for the sport of golf. But, you know, for people getting anywhere, I'm, I'm a big believer in hard work, and, you know, you have to take your lumps and bump along the way. There's nothing wrong with that. If I ever write another book, I would call it perfection is overrated. And you're right. You know, when you're on air, you're going to be criticized a lot and it's just part of it. And you have to understand too, that some of that criticism is good for you. It's just like playing sports. You know, I had coaches who, who were on me all the time as a young person. And so even being in this business now, I want feedback. I want to be coached. I want to know what I could do better. So I think really for any job, it doesn't matter if you're on TV or, you know, you're a nurse or a doctor or a teacher, just sort of be accepting of that feedback and, and ways to get better. But to answer your question, I don't know what I could have changed, really, because, you know, I was living I was living my dream life. I had my dream job and it was my dream job until all of a sudden it wasn't. Well, I think that sometimes you... You know, you can't believe, I call it the vapor. You can't believe the vapor. And I think if you have the opportunity to get there, be in a, a position like that, I don't, I don't care if they're the president or whoever, I think they got, you. I think you got to make those people accountable for themselves. 
And that's kind of, and that's basically what you're doing, you know, and I don't think people should be intimidated by that position until they prove themselves to you, you know, because a lot of veils, you know, are created when people are in that position and you really don't know who they are, you know, and I think if, if you can get that out and, and young people can understand that, maybe that's a way to just say, Hey, you know, I'm here, I'm here, here here based on hard work, but I still need to make this person accountable to me because anything could happen. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's something to think about. And, and when we we're talking earlier, you being from Arkansas, kind of switching gears just a little bit, you're, you're a cousin of a very uh, famous guy who was president of the United States. Uh, did he have any input of during your life of what's going on, Bill Clinton? I had a lot of input, especially toward um once once i knew that i was writing the book and and obviously anytime that you can get his advice on something like that it's great bill's bill's wonderful in the fact that and like we live in this politically charged world and so the minute that you mention somebody's name you know they'll come out and and attack you or attack him or want to take sides but bill's great because He's very open and admits his mistakes and what he's done wrong. And he's happy to talk about it and what he's been through and what he could have done better. So when I was writing this book and going through the proposal, he read it. It was during COVID. And so thankfully he wasn't traveling a lot. So he could, he could spend time reading it and, you know, we would get on the phone and, and he would give me his thoughts. But his, his main thought, his overall thought initially was it needed to be toned down. He said, I can really hear the anger in in your writing and he said you know he kind of equated it to what he went through in terms of the impeachment and you know the whole lewinsky scandal and he said i was angry he said obviously in the beginning you know there was shame and embarrassment and he said but then when i kept dealing with certain aspects of it from the media after a certain time anger anger would kick in and you know i would get defensive and combative and he said finally i realized that i had to stop doing that because it was limiting my work and what i was doing and i just had to get to work and ignore that and just do my job you know admit my mistakes and do my job so he said you know you you need to you need to write your story tell your story but don't try to make the reader feel your anger don't try to force them into feeling the way that you feel because that never works he said just tell your story and let them decide if they agree with everything that you're saying and why you felt that way and the injustices, fine. He said, but not everybody will, and that's okay too. So just write it in terms of just telling your story without that kind of emotion. And, you know, people will embrace the book a lot more. And I will say that the proposal changed because of that. And I feel like the book has a much better tone to it. Uh, I think a lot of folks thought when this came out that this would be a really sharp, heated, angry read. And, and I don't think that it reads that way. It just reads like an open book telling exactly what happened and the documentation of it all. Now, the, the family, uh, you and your family and, and Bill Clinton family, where is, what's the lineage of the family. Where's the family originally from and how did how did the family end up in Arkansas? Yeah, so the Cornwells and Clintons are related. It's funny because Hillary actually wrote the foreword and she put in there, she explained how it happened. The Cornwells are originally from Mississippi and she literally put in there that in the late 1800s that they came over on a wagon and the Cornwells and Clintons uh, through Bill's grandmother and then on my Cornwell side were related. So a lot of people would say that it's 
Dustin, I think the actual term, he and my dad are second cousins and we would, Bill and I would be second cousins once removed. But like I put in the book, he's like a, a big brother, a father figure, you know, a confidant, mentor, all of those things rolled into one. I mean, he's always been there when I've needed him. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm very fortunate and I've learned a lot from him, a lot with with what he's been through, not just his successes, but his failures too. And, and how he's rebounded from it and what he's learned. And, you know, Bill Clinton's whole life has been sort of a life lesson from being a kid with an abusive stepdad, you know, working us all the way up to the, to the presidency and then what he's doing now post-presidency. So it's really been a blessing for me and certainly was a blessing to have him as a mentor throughout the writing of this book. Is there any, is there any native, is the Cornwall name, is there, is there any native in that BM from Mississippi? Do you know where the fam family orig originated, originated from? Is there na any native American in there? I don't believe so. No, I think that the, uh, I think our lineage is English. British. So, um, but I have not done the research. I haven't, I haven't been on, what is it? Ancestry.com. Maybe, maybe now maybe I need to, I need to, to learn more about it. I could answer your question maybe more truthfully. Yeah. The, the truthful answer is I don't know. What part, what part of Mississippi? I don't know that either. I didn't even know about the Mississippi part till Hillary wrote that in the foreword. So she knew more about, she knew more about how we got to Arkansas than I did. So it was pretty funny when I read nice. it. Yeah. She was educating me on my family, nice. which so, is, you know, no surprise. <laughs> I won't even go there. What should we expect from uh, Lisa moving forward? You, you've got the book out. What's the next two or three years? I'm trying to figure that out. You know, it's uh, it's it's a new uh, it's sort of a new ball game for me. I, I'm not in the traditional media space anymore. I mean, I did mention that I'm working for the PGA Tour and doing their play by play work for ESPN Plus, so I'm still in the game a little bit. But I hope that something happens with this book. I really want to be able to talk to women. I want to be able to talk to young girls. I want to be able to talk to to men too. I mean, I think that there are so many great men who have who have been and supporters, encouragers. Uh, they've wanted to learn more about this story because even though they are very sympathetic and empathetic to what happened, uh, they're very open to the fact that they haven't really experienced some of this. So they want to learn and be educated about it too. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, but I hope that this allows me to do something bigger with this whole project and, and to figure out how we make these, these, uh, these issues better because they don't seem to be going away, but they are getting better. And, and I think that we need to elevate that. I see um, this podcast uh, on your website. Is that something you, you do frequently or just a few episodes? I see a few episodes on here. Yeah. That's so it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you ask about that. So I started it last year before I got the book deal and I think we did five or six episodes and it was really kind of along the lines of this. And then the book deal came along and I had six months to, to turn in a 70,000 word manuscript. So I had to halt the halt the podcast, and just recently um, we're going to rebrand it. I, there's another woman who's going to do it with me. She uh, she was a longtime sports writer for the New York Times. She's currently writing Michael Phelps's memoir. She's a phenomenal person, phenomenal writer, and uh, we're going to rebrand it as the Troublemakers podcast, sort of playing off obviously the book title, and just talk to people about different issues that happens, and you know, not just not just women, but you know, these mental 
mental health issues that we've talked about and in conversations that we think that need to, to take place. Is there anything out there that kind of unearths the, the golf world and, you know, female males, the dichotomy in the industry, kind of sh- giving people a look behind the curtain type of deal? Yeah, no, but we definitely, I think both of us want to branch out of, of golf because it's okay. such a niche sport and a small audience. Uh, we will talk about that a lot because I think that that conversation is important, especially when you, you know, you look at the lack of, of diversity that exists in the golf space. And so I think that we, we will tackle that, but we don't want to be golf focused. We certainly don't just because, you know, there are bigger and broader issues taking place that we want to talk about. Well, I think the story re- can resonate with anybody at any level. So if we want to find the book, where do we find the book? It is anywhere you buy books online. So, I mean, I think our biggest seller is on Amazon, uh, but you can get it at, you know, target.com, barnesandnoble.com, Walmart, Goodreads. I mean, it's available anywhere you buy books. Well, I think we've had a great conversation. When I when I get on with somebody who has a nice Southern drawl, I just feel at home. It's like two friends chatting, John. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> when, when you talked, I was like, okay, this is this is good. He's my kind of guy. Nice. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And everybody look for the book, Lisa Cornwell. It is Troublemaker. I think you've got a a lot of information in there that uh, people can learn from. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, Like I said, again, Lisa Cornwell. And this is uh, John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.